The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing Memento Mori, the latest episode of Star, uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have some awesome feedback from listeners on our most recent episodes, and uh, you're going to enjoy that. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community of listeners and to reach more folks. The only way we grow is by the uh, the recommendation of you, our listeners. I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called American Catholic History. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash history. All right. So we have Memento Mori, a, another Latin title for the uh, for a Star Trek episode. Remember death. Remember death. Reminder, reminder of death. That's right. Uh, so, Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? This week, our Let's Meet the Crew of the Enterprise episode, again, focuses on La'an and specifically her history with the Gorn. It's Memorial Day weekend in Starfleet, so everyone is remembering the people who have given their lives for the cause of space exploration. The Enterprise is delivering stuff to a colony, but when they get there, they find most of the colonists have been massacred, and it's all a Gorn trap. So the Gorn can catch the Enterprise and take its crew to one of their nightmarish breeding planets. The Gorn ambush the Enterprise and damage many of its systems, and so they go into the atmosphere of a brown dwarf where they play hide-and-seek with the Gorn ships. The ship and its crew have been critically damaged, leading to multiple subplots. One is in engineering, where Uhura and an injured Hammer must repair damaged machines. Another is in sickbay, where Mbenga and Chapel must repair a damaged number one. And Spock and La'an go on a shuttlecraft side plot where he does a mind meld on her to help her remember things from her childhood encounter with the Gorn. As the Enterprise goes deeper into the Brown Dwarf, pressure starts crushing the lower decks because the people who work on the lower decks are the unluckiest of all. (laughs) And and Captain Pike and his hair must order the bulkheads closed, resulting in the death of a crewman. Ultimately, since the Brown Dwarf is being sucked into a black hole, they jettison the contents of the cargo bay to make it look like they've been destroyed by the black hole. The Gorn ship then leaves and our heroes have survived, except... For seven crew members who died and will be remembered on future Starfleet Memorial Day weekends. The end. I got to I got to guess that they planned the the to have this episode air on Memorial Day weekend because that's that's when it came out. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting that they've they've created this holiday of Remembrance Day. And part of it is that if you have crew, if you have fellow members of Starfleet that you served with. Uh, and you, you wear the pin of the ship on which you served when you served together. That if and they're right, lost, and, yeah. And uh, well, I I thought it was. I mean, maybe that was it. I what I took was everyone in as part of their observance. Everyone is wearing the pins of sh- of ships they formerly served on. Mm-hmm. 
and it looks like everyone on the Enterprise has served on exactly one previous ship <laughs> because everybody's wearing a button except La'an. Everyone's wearing a button and everyone is wearing exactly one button. I guess right. I thought it was like that you pick one ship to honor this year where you oh. serve with someone else who's died. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how I took it mm -hmm. as well. It yeah. was, you know, and of course, with Lon's case, it wasn't a ship she served on. It was the colony ship that she was on as a kid is mm -hmm. what right. she picked. Yeah. And so she's having these flashbacks related to it turns out her brother, her brother, her mm -hmm. brother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who will get to, you know, what happened to him. But she's having these visual hallucinations of some sort of him. Uh, this traumatic uh, memories of, of what happened. And so she doesn't want to deal with Remembrance Day. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, our plot this week is essentially a fusion of the classic submarine movie Run mm -hmm. Silent, Run Deep. Yes. The original series episode Arena and the Next Generation episode Disaster, where the ship is is suffered a major disaster and everyone's having to deal with it. You know, it's a, they really yeah. lean into the submarine comparison like at one point ortegas like makes a remark about dive 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 you yeah. know i mean I, I gotta say and father chip hines uh you know, who's uh, a friend, part of the network uh it said this to me in a, in a message like ortegas has really become kind of growing on me uh and i agree mm -hmm. because I, she's she gets some really good lines at, at different points I, I i like ortegas she's yeah. kind of the snarky comic character she's mm -hmm. a she's a better janet reno than the janet reno of discovery uh -huh. yep. uh, more likable too. Yes, that's exactly. yeah, that's exactly. really what it is. It's more likable. <laughs> the and, and she's got the most amazing anti sideburns. <laughs> she has yeah. got a high and tight haircut. That's that's to die for. It's a really good one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so one thing that's interesting on a structural level about this episode is on a series structural level episode is that um about the episode is that we're revisiting something. Uh, because we've already had information about her and her past with the Gorn. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was focused on in episode one. Um, and now we're we're getting a deeper look at that and we're returning to the Gorn. And this series was advertised as involving self-contained stories mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and not a big season arc. And so, yeah, this is a self-contained story, but we do have something of an episode-to-episode -episode arc happening here. So that, to my mind, is good, because mm -hmm. even if you don't have a season arc, which you don't need to do good storytelling, having over, have, having to hit the reset button hard at the end of every episode so that nothing ever progresses is right. a flaw. Right. And that flaw was mandated for a long time in television by the idea that we want people to be able to watch episodes in any order. But that, which was driven by syndication and, mm -hmm. and the fact that people didn't have home video. So if you missed something, you would be going, what, what, why is this person not behaving like the last time I saw them? Um, but now that we have home video, you can watch episodes in any order you want once they're out. And so it, the idea that we need to hit the reset button hard and have no development from episode to episode, I think is a, is a mistake writing wise. And I'm glad they're not falling into that and the desire to be episodic. Well, it's, it's nice. This is similar to new doctor who, where you would have, you know, standalone episodes, but they would put in something that connects 
an overarching season and that you know and then have the occasional episode that like this that would be more directly towards the threat of the season Mm -hmm. um so i like that go ahead i was gonna say it'll be interesting to see of course at the end of this episode enterprise is beat up badly i mean it's got holes in the hole the whole works how are they going to handle that next episode Mm. Mm -hmm. is everything back to normal yeah yeah um one thing now they may make the Gorn into a recurring series threat, um, mm. which would be fine with me. But my question is how far they can go with that, given the fact that that they don't want presumably they don't want to contradict things that are set that are resolved in the original series episode arena. Mm. Um, and, and they do some good work here. Like they give La'an a line that lots of people have seen the Gorn. They just don't live long enough to talk about it. Right. Um, and so that creates additional storytelling space involving the Gorn. But unless we're going to have our main characters dying, they don't get, they're not going to be able to, to report too much about the Gorn without contradicting Arena. Because mm-hmm. Arena um, says that the Gorn have never been seen face to face, right? Well, I don't remember if it says that. I haven't gone back to see exactly what it does say, but clearly Arena is like a first contact experience, and it's one that resolves peacefully. So any pre-contact experiences have to be minimal and maybe not involve seeing them, and but or, or at least being able to report about it. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in this episode. We do not get to see the Gorn, which is a bit of a problem or can, could be a problem if we start having multiple Gorn plots and we never see them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to be unsatisfying at some point. Yeah. According to Memory Alpha, the Gorn's official first contact with the Federation was Arena. So that was the official first contact and all others were unofficial first contact. Yeah. This episode is also longer than normal. This is 54 minutes instead of uh, normally it's in the 40s. And it's a darker, grittier grittier episode. Um, And I thought it was, I again, thought it had interesting direction, Mm -hmm. meaning the the director of the episode had interesting camera work and things like that. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of get into the episode itself, uh, you, you, we have the where where the different characters are. Yuhura is is uh, still a cadet, and she's on her rotation through engineering, and so that's why she's with Hammer. Uh, and uh, we get this uh, attack on the colony. They've been they're coming to deliver an air purifier to the colony, and uh, they when they get there, they find that it's been attacked. And uh, I, there's a scene where they're looking around down on the surface and the dog startles one of the security officers. A Doberman Pinscher. We see a real live dog without a yep. horn or anything on Star Trek. <laughs> a, who's behind a basically a, a standard door that you'd find in any convenience store in America with a push bar and a key lock. Like this is not advanced 24th century tech on this colony. I just I thought that was very funny. Uh but they do find there are no survivors on the surface evidence of lots and lots of uh, yeah. violence. And uh, this is very much like the beginning of Arena, where Kirk and the gang show up on Cestus Three planet yeah. and the colony has been wiped out and there are scorch marks all over everything um, the, to distinguish it visually from that. This is set at night. Right. 
And but otherwise, the, it's very reminiscent of that. In 1960s, they would not have large streaks of blood everywhere, <laughs> killing we do now. Uh, they, but they do find the survivors in a cargo ship in orbit. And as soon as I saw that the cargo ship in orbit, I'm like, oh, sneak attack. They're bait. Like, yep. <laughs> this is clearly what, what they are. Uh, there's a little girl on board that La'an I, talks to. I, I, oh, I do he, like when when they first find the 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 survive, the ship of the survivors and Pike doesn't know what it is. He gets on the intercom to uh, or he gets on the phone to uh, number one down on the planet and just really calmly and quietly says, number one, we have an un- unidentified ship up here. We're beaming you back up. Right. And yep. that's it. No that's discussion. It. Yeah, they're done. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Laon ends up talking to the one of the survivors as a little girl and ask her her memory of what happened. And the girl tells her about this. She didn't see anything, but she heard a sound. And and the sound is the, the, the this characteristic noise that the Gorn make a clicking noise. And and that sets Laon off in a PTSD, you know, catatonic mm-hmm. moment that almost gets her killed. Um and and it's a very interesting choice they make here to not show like the Gorn ship is coming to attack. She's standing on this this uh, retractable bridge between the car the, the cargo ship that the survivors were on and the Enterprise, and she's frozen in place. And it's number one has to save her, but we cut from that to post explosion attack stuff. This is something that happens a few times in this episode where they tell us things and don't show them. And I don't know if it was for running time or budgetary reasons, but like mm-hmm. later when they destroy one of the Gorns. So there's a like a Gorn mothership and then three Gorn fighters mm-hmm. that they have to deal with. And they destroy one of the Gorn fighters and they just tell us, oh, yeah, that worked. Our photon torpedo destroyed it. But we didn't see it. Yeah. Right. And it's it's a, it's it reminded me of of um, of a uh, of a play written by, or an account of a play written by. Oh, what's his name? He was a Canadian economist and humorist. Um, but the play is called Behind the Beyond. OK. And mm. it is it is a modern problem play written around 1900. And Stephen Leacock. Mm. And that's the author. And he's hilarious. He is. His stuff is really funny, Mm. Um, especially his book, Nonsense Novels. But um, (laughs) but in Behind the Beyond, um, there's it's this modern problem play about a woman needing to realize herself, whatever that means. And 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 we have these two acts. And when we come back into act two, the audience comes back and sits down in their seats. And we learn that one of the main characters from act one has been killed off screen and off stage in between acts. And the audience is profoundly uncertain about this new way of killing off characters without hand to hand combat acting, you know, grappling (laughs) with death scenes in front of us. What's this killing them off between the acts when we can't even see, see them what's going on with that. And it (laughs) reminded me of that when it's like, Oh, yep. Are we just launched our photon torpedo? We saw the torpedo launch. And then suddenly, yes, it's been destroyed. Right, right. We don't see, get to see the explosion. I don't think they even gave us like a you know shake the screen type of thing no. from the you know the shockwave. Just kind of like it's gone. 
Yeah. So by the by the way, the, the little girl mm-hmm. um, who her name is Finn, and she's just in like one scene. Yeah. But mm-hmm. her mom rushes up to her because Finn is freaking out and running down the hallway talking about monsters, and her mom gets up to her and says, "Honey, you know monsters aren't real." <laughs> and I'm going, yeah. "You are living in Star Trek." <laughs> yes, monsters yeah. are real. Do not lie <laughs> to this child. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Aliens are, but monsters aren't apparently. The, the girl just like Gordon ripping people apart. Yeah, that's 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 as real as monsters get. So uh, Laon reveals this is it's all been a trap for the Enterprise. The colonists are bait. You hide in the Gorn hide under a hologram. Wait until the, the Enterprise is vulnerable. Then they attack and run them down until the Enterprise's resources are exhausted. This is standard Gorn tactics. Uh, yeah. Also, I'm entertaining myself by noting our our string of technological failures to keep the plot going in this episode. Oh, yes. They show up at the planet. Oh, and the planet's communication satellite is is destroyed. So comm failure. Yep. Um, The radioactive, the ship of survivors turns out to have radioactive ore in it. Transporter failure. We've got to connect a transport tube to the ship. Therefore, we can't put up our shields. Shield failure. Uh, the attack damages the warp engines, warp failure, and then we've got to go into the gas giant that interferes with almost all of our systems, with shipwide system failure. So haven't it been established already that they can extend shields around another ship? Like this- for pre-TOS? I don't know. I don't know. Discovery? I, I, I know I think- that was done in TNG and DS9 well, and all certainly. those. But- yeah, but... I'm trying to think of like if they did it in Discovery. Maybe maybe they didn't. Maybe uh, I don't know. But yeah. Well, uh, actually, wasn't there an episode where like Discovery and Enterprise were flying like right next to each other, and they had the shields around both ships? Yeah, I, I think. I, so. I, that's I, what I'm I think you're, you're right on that, yeah. Dom. You know, because that obviously is season two of Discovery, but I thought there was something like that. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, Laan is acting first officer because Una is injured. And uh, and of course, Laan is because she's compromised because of her trauma and her history with the Gorn. Well, also, uh, number one tells her, go to the bridge. They need you because yeah. of her background with the Gorn. She knows more about him than anybody else on the ship. That's true. That's true. Yep. Um, so they they need to hide from the Gorn. Uh, you, uh, they're damaged. This is straight out of uh, Wrath of Khan. Go hide in the nebula when you're when you're damaged, right? So they're, now they're going to go hide in the atmosphere of a brown dwarf, which is orbiting a black hole, which is literally 200 kilometers away from the colony. Who builds a colony literally on the doorstep <laughs> of a black hole? This this is the sort of thing that drives me crazy about mm-hmm. p- writers of sci-fi, TV sci-fi today have no idea of how far things are away from each other in space. Like they just have yeah. no sense of scale. Uh, well, and, and of course the, uh, the, the brown dwarf is literally an hour and a half from being ripped apart by this black hole. What timing? <laughs> well, the, the, the tidal forces of the black hole would already be affecting the brown dwarf by that point. Exactly. It, it, it just, uh, where's Andre Bormanis? Isn't he out there being the science advisor for Star Trek still? Somebody, somebody, <laughs> anyone? Uh, this is like J.J. Abrams level of messing with, with the science. And that just drives me a little bit nuts, as we can tell. I know it freaked me. I, I it, it freaked me out not in a happy way. Uh, in his first movie, J.J. Abrams' first movie, where they turned Vulcan into a black hole, and its sister planet is remarkably unaffected by this sudden transformation <laughs> yes. of its co-orbital body. Right, and then you know what he did in Force Awakens with yeah, just oh, just dude. Well, Force Awakens—that's science fantasy, so you know. 
Yeah, I guess. I guess we can see things happening in other solar systems. Anyway, uh, the ship is crippled, and Hemmer and Yohura are stuck with an air filter. So, so, so is so is Hemmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're stuck with an air filter that's going nuclear. Which you know, uh, here's another thing: don't build air filters that can go nuclear. <laughs> That's yeah. That seems like a flaw in designing an air filter. Uh, and so Hammer's hand has been uh, crushed, and and so obviously Uhura is gonna he's gonna have to instruct her, and she's gonna have to do the work, and yes. just like see that coming a mile off. Yes, it is a it is a trope. We've seen this many times. But you know, uh, you, you got to agree with Hammer. I don't like teams. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hammer being Hammer still. It's it got to be Hammer. Uh, Sick Bay is also down, as you mentioned. And uh, so they can't use the auto scalpel they, thingies. They, they, yeah, they can't use the, the skin regenerators. So they're going to have to get out a needle and thread <laughs> and use it on on number one to seal up those uh, seal up those wounds. It's, I, now, I feel like we've heard the term before, but I love it. They call it archaeological medicine. Right. <laughs> because there's I feel always like we've heard that term before. There's always someone on every Starfleet ship who's an expert in something from the 21st century or the 20th yep. century. Like, you know, like Riker's an expert in 20th century jazz and, you know, all this. Ever, there's always somebody who's an expert in something from the past. Stone knives and bearskins. So, uh, beads and rattles. (laughs) Yeah, that was the other one. Uh, So, Laan, we get this scene where Laan rejects the Federation philosophy that understanding one another can lead to peace. And she says, some things in the universe are just plain evil. This is her assessment of the Gorn. Yeah, and so this is another example of of Strange New Worlds uh, offering a critique or counterpoint to traditional Federation ideology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, she says uh, the Gorn don't care about her emotions because she gets accused of being emotional. And she says the Gorn don't care about my emotions. Uh, you know, she's always been blunt. Doesn't care what the crew the crew thinks of her because uh, as acting first officer, the the captain wants her to you know rein in some of her bluntness and keep in mind that she, her part of her job is to help maintain the morale of the crew to inspire them uh, she says as acting xo you have to project hope so uh she's like well the gorn don't care about hope and he's like but the crew does and the crew will perform better when you are giving them hope so that's mm-hmm. uh uh that part of it um so Spock figures out uh, they in the nebula, or I'm sorry, sorry, it's in the yeah. brown dwarf's atmosphere, which is basically like Jupiter. Jupiter's a brown dwarf, so it's a sort of gas giant. Well, planet. it's a bigger. So a brown dwarf is a. It, I knew it, I was going to get away with that. Is <laughs> bigger than a gas giant. It is. It is the stage that is kind of between a gas giant and a star. Okay. And um, and so it's not it's not enough to sustain the kind of fusion that you, you get with a star, but it's um, it's bigger than an ordinary gas giant. And they're actually different. So it's pretty cool. They're brown dwarfs aren't all brown. Some yes. of them are purple. <laughs> and uh, cool. and so they're a, they're a neat thing that we didn't know about them during the. TOS era, but we do now, and it's nice to see them incorporating them. In fact, also, even with suns, yeah. you can if if I mean the outer part of a sun can is is sufficient or can be depending on the type of the star 
is something that you could conceivably take a ship into and not have it destroyed by mm. the heat. Um, and because they're not all some some stars have very diffuse boundaries that are not super dense and not super hot. Okay. Mm. There was an Enterprise episode we did recently where there was a Klingon ship that was inside. I think that was a gas giant where they had to mm -hmm. rescue it. Yeah. Same yeah. Sort of thing. Yep. And then, like, if they go too deep into the gas giant, the ship will get crushed and destroyed. And so this is, like you said, basically a submarine plot, uh, you know, a, a sub chase. In, including having the Enterprise creak with the with the pressure as they go deeper, right. which is a nice touch because yeah. – you creak when you are under a lot of pressure. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> I, I'm creaking now at my age. So I'm under a lot of pressure. So uh, the the guidance systems, the, the phasers are down. They won't work in the gas giant. The guidance systems on the torpedoes are, won't work. Uh, but Spock figures out how to use a nav sensor to target the Gorn, so to, to see them. and By, by tracking uh, gas movements in right. the atmosphere of the brown dwarf. And so the idea the is the thing's got to have a tailpipe, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the idea is that if they instead of shooting a torpedo at them, they'll you let the gravity of the planet uh, do all the work, and they'll just basically drop it out of the tube onto them. Which is, I'm sorry, it's still going to be a pretty tricky targeting maneuver to to do that. Oh yeah. And if you're close enough to just drop it on them, it's going to blow you up too. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and uh, so two things. As the Gorn ship was approaching, like the Gorn was was coming straight at the Enterprise, there was a the whole tense moment. The, did you guys notice a vaguely Jaws-like theme? Dun dun dun. Maybe it was just as I just watched Jaws for secrets of movies and TV shows, but there was a vaguely like that 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 dun 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 yeah. uh, sort of uh, music. Uh, but mm. also, I I made a note at the same time. Yes, why do they not show us the the torpedo hitting? Like uh, it was just a weird. Yeah. It was a weird. They showed, us, they showed us the torpedo and it actually has a kind of cool design with fluorescent glowing strips on it as accents. Yeah. Um, so they spent all the money to design a torpedo, which they didn't have to show us that. But right. But I, it's like I want to I don't like actors being killed off stage between the acts. <laughs> I, I want to I want to see them. You know, I want to see ships dying in fair hand to hand acting on screen. There had no, to have been a, to see. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say we get to see that later, but yeah, yeah there had to have been a creative decision for this. And I, I'm not sure what, what it was, but the, the, maybe the maybe the special effects like didn't work out and they couldn't get it fixed in time for production or something. But and as, as you said, Jimmy, this was a longer episode, so it's possible that, that there was even more that ended up getting left on the cutting room floor yeah. digitally. Yeah, yeah, that's true. At least we got to see Gorn ships, which in the original yeah. version of Arena we did not. Right. Um although they added one in this in the remastered edition. Mm. Yep. Uh so we we get a lot of this World War II submarine chase stuff, you know, dive 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 and that sort of stuff as I mentioned. Um we have the ship is going deeper, Pike's taking the ship deeper into the atmosphere, stuff is collapsing. Um they have trying to evacuate for some reason Transporter Chief Kyle is on the lower deck of the ship. We're not in the transporter room. And uh, he's ra racing. Poor Kyle. Every episode, he's like the guy who's on the verge of like of every bad thing happening in every episode so far. It's kind mm -hmm. of funny. Um, so he he tries to like he's running with this other guy. The other guy falls. He tries to help him up. And the guy pushes him to safety and then the, dies behind the closing bulkhead door. 
And uh, earlier in the episode, they'd set it up that the two of them were friends. They right. or they, they didn't because they encountered in each other in the hallway and were like nodding at each other. So they knew each other. Yeah. Right. And now he's trying to rescue Kyle's trying to rescue his friend who's injured and he's they're, they're both going to die. And his friend pushes him forward through the bulkhead immediately before it closes. And then we see a shower of sparks yeah. knock the guy over as the bulkhead closes. Right. And, yep. the, and the implication being that he died. And and Pike knew that Pike yeah. is giving orders, knowing people are going to die. He, he, he gives the order to close the bulkheads from the bridge, knowing that's going to result in people who are who are not going to make it. And and one of them happens to be a friend of Kyle's. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says he had said early on, you know, introducing Starfleet Remembrance Day and all this sort of stuff. Uh, talk, he had talked about, you know, the sacrifices that are made for the sake of your know, exploration and, and that sort of stuff. And so the, you, you, we, they set up this idea of this affects Pike, this idea of, you know, sending leading people to their death, but, you know, ordering people to and doing giving orders that result in death. And that's a part of leadership. Uh by the way, someone so we commented on how you know there there is a transporter chief named Kyle in the original series, mm-hmm. but he's not Asian, so they did a race swap. Yep. But there was I I uh, was wa- watching a video on YouTube that pointed this out. There was an Asian transporter uh, guy in the cage. Right. And so so it so so it looks like what they've done is merged the original transporter guy from the cage or one of them because there's two. Yeah. Um, but the Asian one with the later Kyle. So at least there's some continuity there. I would prefer, though, I have no problem. I have Asian transporter chief. That's great. I would just give him a different name. Right. Right. We uh, also know that he served on the Shenzo because he's wearing that's his button is the Shenzo uh, mm. from discovering mm. the battle of the binary stars. Uh, so uh, interesting that he was there as well. Uh, meanwhile, uh, back in sick bay, Una is needs to undergo surgery. Uh, she's, she's got the, <laughs> she's been, been sewed up, but uh, she needs to undergo surgery. And, but orders Mabenga to give the last well, of we, the plasma. We, 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 we should explain they've they've sewed up her exterior wounds, but there is still a piece of shrapnel near her abdominal aorta. Right, right. Mm-hmm. The, that's what they need to go get. Right, and because they are reduced to using ancient medical techniques, they have to do intravenous uh, blood for you know uh, blood units instead of whatever magical futuristic device they use to, to replenish blood. And she orders Mabenga to give the last of the plasma to a different crewman. Uh, just before she's going to undergo surgery. Uh, so uh, it, that was kind of an odd thing because, so how does she survive? I guess Mabenga gets the intravenous Mbenga. thing working. I mean, the, or the the magic device working. No, at the end of the episode, we get a brief shot back to sickbay revealing that Mbenga is hooked up to her and is giving her a, a transfusion of his own blood, yes. okay. which she can apparently receive despite the fact she's now an Illyrian. Yeah, well, it's plasma, so maybe they've got stuff to. Well, they pull show out. they show the red blood though on the tube. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it also the clear the, plasma. The tube apparently goes through the uniform too, instead of rolling up sleeves, which is a whole other thing. Well, uh, so do the injections. I mean, yeah, I know everything. We don't think anything on them doing right on the shoulder, right through the <laughs> exactly. jersey. So again, magic. We we can transport stuff right into people's bloodstreams, as we saw in the first episode. 
One of the things I noticed visually as as they're getting ready to do the surgery, we get a close-up of number one's hands as they come up towards her face or something. Like she's putting a mask on of anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got these glittery grid pattern fingernails. They're like golden, but it's like a golden mm-hmm. pattern of some kind. And I thought, oh, that's there. That's in continuity with uh, something from the cage. Right. Because in the cage, number one, when she's holding a communicator up to her face, we can see she's got blue fingernails, which would be exotic in the mm-hmm. in back in the 1960s for a woman to have blue fingernails. Today, it's like <laughs> I'm sure every woman has blue fingernails yeah. at some point. But, right. But they're trying to uh, keep up this character quirk of of um of number one having avant-garde fingernails yep yep yep, yep that's true um so laon comes up with what i think it was laon no spock comes up with an idea to no it's laon comes Lon. with an idea to use the the uh, shuttlecraft to scout out the location of the the gorn mothership and uh spock and of course the specific shuttlecraft galileo galileo again. of course again uh and spock insists on going along and while they're on board uh, Laon says, I've heard of the Vulcan mind meld, and I want you to get the information that has been locked in my brain behind the trauma that will help us to defeat the Gorn. And he says, mind melds are not a shortcut to dealing with mental trauma. And that's and an interesting con- continuity from Discovery. Yeah, she, he, she also says, that's a risk I have to take, which is one of my least favorite cliched lines ever. <laughs> but at yeah. least here... It's about a mental thing rather right. than a mechanical thing. And so it's at least using the the line in a context where it is less cliched. Right. And what they're trying to figure out is the, the Gorn appear to communicate using patterns of light that they S- broadcast. Signal lights. Like, yeah. Like modern signal lights are used to communicate yep. between ships. Right. Instead of communicators, which is interesting given the, the distances in space usually – that would not seem to be a a, a a useful, but when you're in short distance, sure. And she she has a memory of this, and but it's scrambled in her mind behind the trauma, and that's what they're trying to get out. And so then they um they go in, and she has this memory of her childhood being chased, her and her brother on the Gorn breeding planet. And they're it's interesting they're they're children, but they're wearing a kind of uniform, which that is looks like Discovery era uniforms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but but they weren't in Starfleet, so maybe colonists had a were like semi militarized of some sort. These, these could be like ship ship uniform or ship. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, the, the overalls, overalls. Ship overalls. Yeah. Think yeah. of like if you watch the Expanse, like they have an set of overalls that they wear on the ships, That's something true. like that. Okay. These were civilians. This was a civilian ship that they were on. It was a civilian colony ship that was hijacked by the Gorn. So we find out that her brother had been creating this uh, decoding the, the, the uh, decoder for the Gorn visual Morse code, basically. And mm-hmm. he gives it to her and tells her they're, they're apparently the last two left and sac- sacrifices his, his own life to save her so that she can be the last. Yeah. And we get a, a look at the code that he's cracked and it's, it's basically pseudo Morse code. Yeah. Um, and it's the same concept. It's just, a different pattern and I'm going, you know, the Gorn aren't going to speak English. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
you're not going to be able to just take an English phrase and turn it into signal lamp Morse code and send it to them and have them understand it. It'll be gibberish. Right. They, Yeah. And how, yeah. And the universal translator magic device. Yeah. It, that's that's the, the classic sci-fi trope though, that the other languages have a one-to-one correlation with English that, you know, a letter in in one language equals a letter in English, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of a classic trope. Yeah. I mean, you, you just, it's it's yeah. a shorthand for getting everything in in 15 minutes but then the yeah well it's uh, it, it's distracting it is um, it is i mean it's cuz they're going for something realistic here if you're if you're if you're going to tell me you've magically cracked their light code fine but then don't show it to me as mm-hmm. it's just morse code with english letters and numbers <laughs> right right yep right. just tell me you've cracked their code but don't go that extra step of showing me how you've done it and have it be ridiculously stupid yeah <laughs> that's mm. true that's true uh so back aboard the enterprise uh, uhura and hammer are getting to know each other while they're fixing the thing the air filter and the nuclear air filter and so she's she's trying to keep him awake and distracted because of that the whole you know injury thing that they they do on tv and so she asks him how does an anar end up in starfleet i thought they were all pacifists and um hammer talks about being a pacifist in starfleet and i'm like i thought starfleet was not a military organization it was primarily about exploration. So would that be incompatible with being a pacifist? Well, given the number of fights you can be expected to get in, it's kind <laughs> of a military organization. I yeah. mean, this whole, we're an exploration yeah. organization. Well, that was, that was nonsense. They tried out during next gen, but that's just nonsense. Um, well, and he, well, and he, he tries to, tries to, to sugarcoat or tries to cover it up by, well, I won't fight. But I will defend the ideals of the Federation. Right. Yeah, By not got, fighting. His, his line is pacifism <laughs> is not passivity. And this right. is not inconsistent with actually how conscientious objectors have been handled here um, uh, in in the real world. Uh, you know, the U.S. military has at various times made provision for conscientious objectors, mm-hmm. but said, OK, you, you, you don't want to kill, but you could work as a medic. Mm hmm. Or yep. you could do some kind of other labor, um, and and presumably Himmer's like, well, I'm in engineering. I fix things. That's my job. I don't kill people. Right. Where it gets a little dicier is, yeah, but do you fix phaser and photon torpedo systems that do kill people? Right. 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 Yeah. He says that pacifism is not passivity, but the active protection of all living things in the natural universe. So. Well, We'll see how the. I mean, that's maybe there'll be a future episode in which he has to struggle with that. I mean, that could be an interesting moral struggle. So for him. he's basically an over glorified motor pool <laughs> mechanic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then the the nuclear air filter is going critical, and they decide the only thing they can do is now vent the cargo bay into space, just like LaForge and Crusher did in Disaster. Yes. Mm-hmm. In this case, they're going to put themselves. Uh, in suits, in pressure suits, and anchor themselves to completely insufficient uh, anchor points. <laughs> yeah. Any any compartment that can be vented into space needs to have fixtures on the wall you can tie yourself to. Right. 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 Um, also, they ridiculously juiced the drama for this by not telling us they had spacesuits until the last minute. Mm. Right. And then the whole, like, the explosive decompression does not going to rip you the, the the anchor point out of the wall 
especially if you're standing next to the wall (laughs) because there's no air behind you to propel you out into space. If you're behind, if you're standing right up against the wall, all the air in front of you will leave, (laughs) but there is no air behind you. So new news you can use if you are ever in an explosive decompression situation, stand as far away (laughs) from the, from the point of exit as possible. Right. Space may be a vacuum, but it doesn't suck. (laughs) That's my my, uh, safety sign for all of the uh, engineering spaces on board Starfleet ships. Uh, Something, something gravity, but yeah. (laughs) So the the solution to getting away from the Gorn and making them think the Gorn think that they're dead is they're going to skirt the event horizon of the black hole and drop the exploding air filter there. Uh, The red shift of the black hole will make it seem like the enterprise stopped at that location and exploded. And then when it said they're really slingshotting around the black hole, uh, hopefully not going back in time. And, uh, (laughs) and then uh, the, the Gorn will go away uh, without scanning for them, apparently. So, uh, so, and that, and that's what they do. I mean, there's a lot of drama in the midst of it, but that's, that's what, what they end up doing. And everybody, you know, you, uh, Una, wakes up she's she's gonna be fine um there are seven crew members dead though and several civilians from the colony that that also died Mm -hmm. uh, on board the ship and uh, the enterprise is in bad shape so like you said father Corey, it'll be interesting to see if we have that continuity do we next episode is the enterprise all ship shape or are they going to space dock to get all the the damage repaired that should be interesting to see so any uh any final thoughts on this episode father Corey? No, I, I enjoyed it well enough. It was it was it was a fun episode, but yeah. yeah, it definitely pulled on the tropes. That's for sure. Sure, sure. Uh, Jimmy, um, a few notes. So, I as part of the interesting direction for this, I really liked the brightly lit but creepy, wobbly, blurry camera angles after the attack, where Laan is like dazed and Chapel's trying to treat her, um, and it's it is it's brightly lit. The camera's wobbly, things are blurry, and we're getting weird, you know, we're getting Dutch angles, um, mm-hmm. as they're called. But it's it's effectively creepy. Um, so I liked that. Um, I also noted Pike trusts his crew way more than Kirk did. Um, Pike accepts other people's recommendations with, and frankly, more than Picard did, um, mm-hmm. without lengthy discussions. Um, so he really, he really is more trusting of them than others. Um, we got a little bit of audio footage of Michael Burnham in this, in the mind meld scene where, uh, we hear her saying to, after La'an has had her mental encounter with her brother, Manu Noonien Singh, um, she picks up on Spock's relationship with Michael, who also sacrificed herself to save him. And we hear Michael saying, I love you too, brother, from season two of Mm -hmm. Discovery. Um, And then she says, Starfleet records don't show a Michael. And I'm going, wait, what? Um, I mean, (laughs) the fact she survived the big special effect at the end of season two and went into the future, that may be classified, Right. But why would all men, all memory of her existence be deleted from Starfleet records? That makes no sense. She was the first Starfleet officer tried for treason. 
No yeah. mutiny. Yep. <laughs> what did they purge Google News of her? <laughs> have Winston Smith send all those news stories down the memory hole? Yeah, but and, oh, and yeah. make everybody like forget that you do the uh, men in black flash in their face. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a that was a misstep. Yeah. Um, let's see. The um, Pike has unreasonable faith that the Enterprise will hold together, but based on his private comments to Laon. He may just be projecting that and just hoping. Um, One thing that's begun to be a little bit of a concern to me is they, I think, I think they're overcompensating in, um, in terms of giving the female characters uh, power and agency Mm -hmm. instead of, instead of having them, just as normal respected characters who can make contributions, there are these girl power moments Mm. and they keep coming up. I mean, I happens a few times. I don't care, but there seems to be a pattern of them. Like in this episode, we have spunky Uhura girl power in engineering and spunky chapel girl power in, uh, in, in, in sick bay and lawn girl power and all this. And, I've I started noticing a couple episodes ago Nurse Chapel is uh, is um getting Way more airtime than Mbenga. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she's displaying more agency than mm-hmm. her boss and she's getting the zinger lines and she's shining co- consistently she's outshining her boss. Right. And 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 it's like don't I, I I like Chapel I even like this version of Chapel I like mm-hmm. this version of Chapel better than the original sure yeah but don't you. don't go so overcompensating about about men women issues that you that you make her shine at the expense of Mbenga who needs mm-hmm. to shine too right and and we um, we see a similar pattern in. Um, in engineering in this episode where Uhura basically, even though she's not the expert on engineering, she basically schools Hammer on what we need to do to get through this situation. Yeah. And right. she has her girl power triumph moments and the crowd goes wild. And it's like, look, I, I, I like these characters. Don't ruin them for me <laughs> by, by having by having them be Mary Sue's. Right. They're not right. simply competent. They're being super competent and super over the top in, in how they do it. Yeah. Well, and I, that's where last episode I kind of said is I'm not sure I'm a fan of number one being Superwoman. Right. And it's mm-hmm. this kind of thing, too. It's like she was before they even reveal that she was a Lyrian. I like the character. This is good character. This character we, you know, we want to get to know. We don't need to make her that she's like Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Diana Prince. Ooh, Diana Prince. And, and remember, Chris Pine played uh, Steve. What's his face in the movies? And Chris mm-hmm. Pine was Captain Kirk. If we have Pike, never mind. So <laughs> you, you can play six degrees of, of six degrees of Kevin Bacon another time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, one thing, speaking of Mbenga, I, I was kind of waiting for him to to get upset that they were losing all of the systems in sickbay were going down, given that his daughter's life depends on the pattern buffer and the medical transporter working con- continuously. Uh, yeah, but th- they've dropped they, that. Well, and I and they said they were going to do a 
technical fix to prevent it from happening again. And I assumed that meant they were going to isolate it. Oh, and mm-hmm. and they were going to, number one specifically said the power for that transporter is now going to be directly linked to the warp core. Okay. So right. unless the warp core goes offline, that thing's going to have power. Okay. In, in other words, they ran, a, they ran a, uh, another wire directly from the warp core to the transporter. Okay. Okay. That's, that's what they did. Okay. Um, all right. So I think that should do it for our discussion of this episode, but I do want to go to our feedback, which we've got some great feedback from our first episode on of strange new worlds. The, the title strange new worlds. We have an email from John who says, I also was having trouble understanding what was going on with the timeline when Pike was referring to the second civil war the eugenics war and the third world war. But here's a couple ideas that could reconcile it with previous info established by Star Trek in the canon. The first idea is from memory alpha, which is that Spock was simply wrong about the eugenics wars happening in the nineties. That's possible, but I think this is probably the laziest way to retcon something like this. The second is that Pike says the eugenics war singular implying it could be a different conflict with a confusing name. We see Sung with a con file in Picard, and it's possible that he got that from back then, and that a new conflict related to eugenics started after the events of Picard and the Second Civil War. My idea of the timeline is something like this. 1990s, eugenics, wars, plural, as previously established. 2024, events of Picard Season 2. 2024 to 2026, the Second American Civil War. Then shortly after the Civil War, it turned into a broader conflict that spilled over into other countries called the Eugenics War. And then 2026 started World War III after an escalation from the Eugenics War. What's also interesting is that as far as I can tell, based on what else we know about World War III, is that it seems like the U.S. not only survived, but won. And this is despite us knowing the country was in a civil war. Maybe it was like France during the War of the First Coalition. Anyway, keep up the good work. Always enjoy listening every week. So uh, one comment I would have on that is I don't think the maybe I don't maybe I forgot, but I don't think the American the second civil war and all that is started immediately after the events of Picard season two. I think it was implied the World War three and all that sort of stuff happened some time after that before the events where mm-hmm. Zephram Cochran shows up. Ba- based on the timeline on Memory Alpha, it, lo- it looks like the conflict started two years after Picard season two. OK. In 2026. Okay. Um, the so I I don't know what they're doing. Um, I guess maybe if they have a coherent explanation, more of it will emerge with time. Um, but there are just inconsistencies. It seems um, among them, one that I haven't seen pointed out is the number of casualties, um, because at one point in the original series, Spock gives a specific figure of the number of millions of people that are killed in World War Three, I think it was like 37 million. It was something yeah. like that. It's yeah. under, it's it's not a huge number. I mean, it, millions is, compared to a world population of 7 billion, it's actually a pretty small number. Uh, but then in Strange New Worlds, they've in, indicated that this conflict involved like the death of a third of humanity or something which has got to be way more than 37 or 56 million or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 Now correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't one of the things that the movie Star Trek first contact talked about is that the, the first contact day happened right at the end of world war three or really close to it. Cause there was something where the, the Borg 
spear was shooting at the the site of uh, there in Bozeman, um, and mentioned something about Russian satellites, you know, attacking. Mm. And I, I and maybe that's just something that was implied in the, with that where it was. I mean, it was after World War Three. We know that, but mm-hmm. that it was close enough that there, there would still be operative offensive Russian satellites. Oh, yeah, sure. There, uh, we're still in a time when nation states exist, and so right. they haven't all merged yet. Um, but I would assume those are just a defense grid the Russians had up. And you well, I, I mean, what I mean though is more in timeline wise, where if if we take this timeline, like the the uh, the, the feedback says, World War Three would have lasted about forty years. So. According to Memory Alpha, first contact establishes that World War III ends with a nuclear holocaust in 2053, resulting in the deaths of 600 million people. Hmm, and that okay. 20, so, but, so Spock might have been referring in the, in the TOS to the eugenics wars, maybe, where 37 I, million? I believe he says your third world war. Oh, okay. And then it's yeah. 2063 when Zephram Cochran launches the, the flight of the Phoenix. 10 years after, okay. So 10 years, so. But you're still you're still talking if if this is, you know, 26 or something, you know, 2026 is when World War Three starts. Yeah. You're still talking a good 30 years worth of war. Yeah. That, or I mean, 25 years worth of war. I mean, it's not unheard of, but yeah. Uh, so our, thank you uh, to John for your email. And then we, our next feedback comes from our episode on Ghosts of Illyria, which was last episode. Kelly writes on Facebook, it wouldn't be Star Trek unless there's at least one episode where the entire crew goes nuts for some reason. I like this episode, but I find that I enjoyed the first two episodes more. On the whole, I have high hopes for the series after the first few episodes. I actually want to rewatch episodes. While there were elements of Picard that I enjoyed, I never wanted to rewatch episodes. Currently, the only new track that I want to rewatch is Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds. So far, I'm really liking the characters, but I do think that Pike's hair is getting out of control. If it gets any taller, he's not going to be able to fit under doors. <laughs> I Indeed. One. I wonder if there's, if there's a future episode where it's revealed that Pike's bouffant is actually home to alien mind control parasites. <laughs> As for the reveal of Una's genetic enhancements, it wasn't a surprise to me. I called it in the first five minutes of the episode. As soon as genetic engineering was mentioned, there was a moment when Una gives a certain look. It was then that I knew she would be revealed to be enhanced. So and then our uh, last feedback, Paul on Facebook. It's good to challenge Starfleet on and the Federation on its heavy handed policies. A more nuanced interpretation is better. However, I would like to see counterbalance episodes showing why planets choose to join the Federation or individuals choose to join and serve in Starfleet. So uh, very good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like, yeah. I like to see the balance. I show don't show don't tell is always a good rule to go by. and. Mm-hmm. Rather than just telling us Federation morality, showing us examples of of it, you know, and and the reasons behind it is to be preferred. Yes. Yep. As long as they're not boring, hackneyed scripts with the same, oh, now we just understand each other ending every week. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. We'd like to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Joshua N., Paula W., Silas H., Kelsey S., and Jim B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of this Strange New Worlds episode called Memento Mori. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, at our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can send an email to trek at sqpn.com or join the conversation going on at our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds called... Spock Amok. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, but I had it down. We were going to be watching the Warner Brothers Daffy Duck cartoon, Duck Amok. <laughs> oh. Right, right, right. That's what we should prepare for. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest. And remember, the best miracles are born from truth. Truth.